Bethlehem Baptist Church is reeling from the resignation of three pastors and the exodus of hundreds of members. There also have been numerous allegations of spiritual abuse and calls for an independent investigation. But what really happened at Bethlehem Baptist? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And joining me today for part two of my podcast on Bethlehem Baptist are former longtime members Steve and Jeanette Takata. As they explained in part one, they unwittingly found themselves at the epicenter of a storm at Bethlehem after proposing two motions at a church meeting last January. This led one church elder and professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary to threaten to resign if the motion passed. That elder is Andy Nacelli. And as the Takatas recounted, in the months after the January meeting, Nacelli said things about the Takatas in numerous public and private contexts that the Takatas felt were not just disparaging, but slanderous. This brings us to a very important meeting between the Takatas and Andy Nacelli, with several Bethlehem elders present. We pick up our conversation there. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marcorda Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Now, here's part two of my conversation with Steve and Jeanette Takata. When things like this happen in the church, I wish people would go to the people involved, get firsthand accounts of what happened, not people who heard that they heard that they heard just so important. But for an elder to be repeating (laughs) some of these things is, it's concerning. So then this all kind of comes to a head and there's a March 11th meeting. It was, uh, as I understand, called or referred to as a peacemakers meeting. It was supposed to be a time to resolve some of these issues. It was between you and Andy Nacelli with several elder pastors in the room. And uh, I've have a recording of this meeting. Minnesota is a one-party state, so people can make recordings as long as one of the parties present uh, is is making those, and that is completely legal. But for time, I want to just briefly mention, I can't play the recording of the whole meeting, but I want to mention some of the things that are the alleged sins that you named, Jeanette, in that meeting. You felt Andy had sinned against you in the following ways. One, for attacking instead of shepherding at that January 31st meeting by threatening to resign if your motion passed. Two, for gossiping about you to members of the church, falsely accusing you, we've talked about some of those, of being insubordinate and divisive. You also mentioned that in another conversation with an elder, Andy accused you of engaging in emotional blackmail and being manipulative. And then you say Andy apologized in an email to the church with no real admission of guilt or sufficient knowledge, acknowledgement of the impact his actions had on you. You conclude, and I quote, I don't simply think you've offended me or merely hurt my feelings, but I contend that in addition to the sins I've charged you with above, you've increased abusive power and disqualified yourself from eldership at this time. Andy responds with several I regret statements. So I regret this. I regret that. Uh, He doesn't apologize or ask for forgiveness. And in the clip I'm about to play, Andy explains why. We've got four kids and um, we distinguish between when to say I'm sorry and when to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So if one of the kids chucks a block across the room and hits her sister in the head, if it was an accident, then it's a, I'm sorry but you don't say, please forgive me. But if she took aim and whacked her, that's a, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Intent matters. So we distinguish between the two. Uh, And I think that's a pretty important distinction. And sometimes a sister will come to one of us complaining that they feel hurt by something one of their sisters did. And if they come to us with basically the logic, I'm hurt, therefore she sinned against me, we say, well, maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. Let's let's talk about what happened. And sometimes we we 
maybe wrongly uh, judge it, but with, try to use wisdom to say, I don't think that's what's her sin against you, and try to help them work through that. We found it to be helpful. So I know you've already written out charges, but would you be willing to consider listening to my intent and reconsider some of your charges? Because um, we haven't even talked, and these are pretty strong charges. Uh, my intent was not to harm anyone. It, I think what's happened is the impact has been massive, way bigger than I realized. It's like you know, backing up your car and smash a car behind you. And, oh, oh man, uh, I didn't, I didn't mean to. But it, it has the impact. If you might have just you know uh, punched on the gas and, and, and purposely destroyed a car. Um, so I think intent matters. One thing I've done is uh, I've tried to discern if I'm guilty of the, what's the category of unintentional sin. So I, I contacted Jason DeRoshi. He's an Old Testament professor and said, brother, help me here. I want to I wanna know, does this apply to me in this situation? And he wrote me a really, a really helpful email uh, helping with this. I'll give you some highlights. He says, the Bible distinguishes unpremeditated accidental acts versus unpremeditated spiteful acts. And whether you feel only sorrow or also seek forgiveness is fully contingent on your heart during the act. Okay, so again, uh, in this clip, Andy's saying that this was unintentional, so he didn't mean to cause you harm. And so he doesn't need to own that it was sin or ask for forgiveness. He reads more from this letter he got from uh, Jason DeRoshi, who, by the way, is an Old Testament professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also used to be uh, an elder there at Bethlehem, as I understand. He was the Old Testament professor at BCS, and Andy is the New Testament. And he was also an elder at Bethlehem, correct? Yes. Jason was. Okay. For, for time, I can't play everything, but I want to play another clip. And again, I'm not doing this because of the personal nature of this. To me, this speaks to the theology and the reasoning and the, the kind of, this is how an elder who has an incredibly important position at the college and seminary uh, is reasoning in this particular case. My hesitancy here is, it's, it would be so, so relieving to just say, please forgive me for X, Y, Z, and shake hands or hug and move on. But I, I, I'm afraid that if I did that at this point, I would be lying to make peace, and I can't do that. So I feel terribly that I hurt you, and I own that, and I regret it, and I'm so sorry. I'm not convinced that I sinned against you, because I have zero ill intent against you in what I've done. Zero. And I, I could walk through charge by charge to explain that if that'd be helpful. Okay. And again, I don't have time to play all of your response to him, Jeanette, but again, he's saying it's a communication breakdown, and I, I didn't really mean to do this. Jeanette, you respond. I understand intent. I get it. We have six kids, right? We're, we're like all of us in this room have kids. We understand that there's times when your child does something or we do something and we don't intend, we can't even foresee the impact. But I also firmly believe that we, we say prayers like, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, because we cannot judge whether our meditations and our words are pleasing to him. So we have to ask him, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. You have to be the one as the judge of the secrets of the hearts of men. The heart is deceitfully wicked. So if I don't want to own any offense towards you, if I don't want to own my impact or my intent on the way that I brought the motion, maybe I could say, I didn't intend for it to be that way. And we move on. But that's not my, my posture towards you. I want to say, I see. I see how the way that I worded the motion and the fast pace of the QSM led it to land on you in a way that we didn't intend, that I didn't intend. 
I see that and I'm sorry for that. And I, I pray that, and I'm asking you to forgive me for the, the impact of the way that I brought the motion. I don't want to just own impact. I want to own intent as well. Or I don't want to focus so much on intent that I can't own the impact with you. When our Lord says, someone asks you to forgive me, do. So of course I forgive you. But I would also argue, I don't think you need to ask for forgiveness if you didn't intend to harm me. There's a heavy sigh at the end there. I left that in because I don't know whose sigh that is. Is that yours, Steve? Uh, I don't recall at this point. I, I, I just can feel it in the room, the frustration listening to this. And by the way, I, I'll post a transcript of the entire thing um, so people can, can see it. Response of other elders in the room, do they say, uh, Andy, um, you, you made some false accusations here? Although he, he actually in this meeting denies that that he said the things that then later he admits that he said and that he did some of these things. But there was no confronting of, at least that I heard from any of these elders saying, Andy, you're wrong. You you need to ask for forgiveness. That's not right. It was a really like fast meeting. It was crunched. We had to pick up a kid from sports in another city. We all wanted more time. Towards the end, it was each elder got a chance to give their perspective. And one of them said, Andy, you've made six or seven I regret statements. Would you be willing to apologize for those to the congregation? The answer was no. So regret, but no intent, no sin, no apology, no seeking of forgiveness. And you, you must have left this meeting feeling incredibly unsatisfied. Yes. Another elder's response was that he could tell from the clip that you played, he could tell I was modeling the kind of apology and seeking a forgiveness that I expected or was wanting from Andy. He could mm -hmm. see I was modeling that. But Andy can't apologize. It would be like lying to God if he apologized for sin and sought forgiveness. So this elder proposed that maybe the church needs some better teaching on whether or not and how to apologize based on the impact of our actions and words. And I was like, Lord, have mercy if you write another paper. <laughs> so was it kind of your your impression that the, the, the church needs more teaching so that you need to be informed or that Andy needs to be informed? The church needs to be informed. Because they have an ignorant view like whom? Like me. Like, like you. Okay. That's, that's, I just wanted to be sure that, that our understanding was what the understanding was uh, on that. So this happened on March 10th. And, and present in that room, Ming-Jin Tung was there, who's one of the pastors who ended up resigning. Jason, was Jason Meyer there? Jason and Brian were not permitted to be there. And why was that? We don't know. That's curious. They were told they would not be there prior to when we were told we could that they would not be there. And it was our meeting. Hmm. And you had requested them be there. We had placed this meeting on the calendar from mid-February. Within, I'll say, a week and a half of the QSM, we had settled on, all right, this is the day that we're going to get together with Andy and with these pastors that have been sort of walking with us through this. Less than a week prior to the meeting, we were told that this person is not going to be able to come. This person is going to come instead. Are you okay if these people don't come? It sort of threw me for a loop. Hey, we've been planning this meeting for more than a month now, and all of a sudden, the people that we've invited to be a part of the meeting aren't allowed, aren't permitted. So the day after that meeting, that happened on March 10th, March 11th, there's another meeting. And this meeting is of all the downtown elders. So that would be Jason Meyer and Ming Jin Tung, Brian Pickering, uh, but also Kenny Stokes. And I think Kurt Elting Ballard was in that as well, the, the chairman of the elder board. And at that meeting, and again, at this point, you don't know, do you, about the, the, all the accusations that have been brought about Andy Nacelli at the school or the investigation? No. So you don't know this, but Brian Pickering does. We had rumors, but what are you going to do in the middle of this? Go start asking church questions? No, nothing. Nothing. As we were departing the March 10th meeting, 
we were exhorted by Tom Lutz, who was sort of facilitating this meeting for reconciliation, that we were to leave this meeting at this time and hold the information from that meeting in confidence. The intent or the described intent was that in this area of personal reconciliation between people, if you then leave that meeting and go talk about it with a bunch of other people, you can sabotage the opportunity for reconciliation between the parties. However, he said, because of the way that we presented grievances against Andy Nacelli for his behavior that we believed was disqualifying from eldership, it was Tom Lutz's responsibility and the elders' responsibility from that meeting to then go present that to the rest of the elder council and to talk about it. But stepping out of that meeting, we were being held to confidentiality at at that juncture. Difficult position, no doubt. So again, day after this, uh, on March 11th, the downtown elders meet, Brian Pickering brings the testimony of 12 current and former uh, BCS students who had accused Andy Nacelli of spiritual abuse. I've written about this at length, so if you want to read more about this, you can just go to julieroy.com and you look under the tab for investigations under Bethlehem, and the stories are there. But he brings these, and he has other documentation uh, about Andy Nacelli. He was charging that Andy Nacelli was not qualified to be elder anymore as well. And according to Brian Pickering, what happened at that elder meeting is that they were just grief stricken over some of the things that had happened. And Kenny Stokes in particular said at the end, according to Brian, that there needed to be an investigation. He didn't want a third party investigation, but some sort of internal investigation uh, to see what had happened. So at the end of that meeting, there seemed to be unanimous agreement that there was going to be some sort of investigation. And then five days later, there's a meeting of the entire elder board. And again, I know this through Brian Pickering, who has uh, told me about this, that on the 16th, rather than ordering an investigation into these matters, the allegations against Andy were dismissed. And specifically, the charges that you brought and the grievances that you brought, because you had since accumulated a number of these because of what had happened since that January 31st meeting, those were dismissed. And there were other Bethlehem members who were some of the people who were party to the conversations that you talked about with Andy, who also submitted grievances. All of those were dismissed. Um, they also consider the charges by Brian Pickering, who openly stated that he, that he thought Andy should be disqualified. All of those get dismissed, and the next day you get a letter from Kurt Elting Ballard, who again is the chairman, and he writes to you, and I quote, The Council of Elders does not find the grievance brought by Steve and Jeanette Takata against Andy Nacelli as true or substantial. Further, this grievance requires no further investigation or consideration. Steve and I can't speak to what happened at a downtown elder meeting because mm -hmm. we weren't there. Um, we also mm -hmm. can't speak to what happened on March 16th because we were not there and mm -hmm. because they chose to hold that investigation in executive session. So that is bound to confidentiality as well. What we were told is that at the end of the, the March 10th meeting, that not only were we to keep it confidential, but we had initiated a process according to the bylaws. So the church bylaws state when there's a grievance brought by two or more members in good standing, a thorough after thorough and investigation and careful consideration, the elders will determine whether the charges are true or substantial. And if so, they would recommend this elder be removed by the congregational vote. So they did not have a choice according to the church bylaws, whether to, ex um, to investigate or not. So it was our understanding that the March 16th meeting was to investigate the grievances that we had brought according to the bylaws. And again, I've asked elders for their feedback on this. Specifically, I approached Kenny Stokes about Brian Pickering has said this happened. And you, you said one thing on the 11th. Why did you vote then uh, another way at the 16th? I haven't received a response or a clarification on that uh, at this point. 
this didn't end the issue for you. You put together a 17-page document, which you shared with me. You asked for another meeting on April 6th. For purposes of time, I can't go into everything that's, that's in there, but you basically said Andy has displayed a pattern of behavior, of concerning and disqualifying type of behavior and a pattern of unrepentance. But you add, furthermore, actions by the elder council have minimized, excused, supported, or hidden Andy's lack of repentance and or have abdicated accountability. Your letter concludes that you plan on bringing a motion at the next QSM. So again, these quarterly strategic meetings that the whole church gathers, you want to bring a motion proposing that the church initiates a third-party investigation into how things were handled. So you were at this April 6th meeting to, to present this letter. What was the response to you when you brought this this letter? I You read the entire letter, is that correct, to yep. the elders? Yeah. What happened in the meeting? So we spoke to the elder council. As we started reading these pages, we were interrupted twice by an elder addressing the chairman saying, I thought we weren't going to relitigate this. Mr. Chairman, I thought we weren't going to go here. Can you say who interrupted? Sam Crabtree. Okay. One of the elders. When we started reading 22 instances that we had documented of times when Andy was told to apologize, resend an email, repent, and he didn't. 22 instances that we knew of at the time. And as you have acknowledged, there were many things that we didn't learn about until much later. But 22 instances that we knew of attempting in our mind to present to the Elder Council, maybe you just don't know. Maybe somehow this is all just happening and you weren't aware of these things that took place. There are parts of this experience that have just been gut-wrenching. And at the conclusion of our presentation, Sam Crabtree addresses us and says to the council, you know how I, you know, I, I, I love Jeanette, I love Steve, you know, we've, we've known them all this time. And then he addresses me, Steve, why didn't you go to Easter with your mom? In an extremely accusatory tone. He was immediately interrupted by someone who said, that's not appropriate. He tried to repeat the question. He was interrupted by a second person who said, brothers, are we going to pastor in shame? And his response was, we just got shame for the last hour. And so he went to talk again. And then a third person said, Sam, stand down. At this point, Steve is crying. I'm looking at the chair to stop the line of questioning or to say something, and he doesn't. And I was so grateful the Lord gave me a soft answer to his question that I hoped would turn away more wrath. And so I leaned forward and just did my best to get through that question. And then an elder of three months asked us about strong language that we used. And some of his examples were dark and light. We use really strong language like dark and light. So very personal, this whole entire thing. And, and I know you don't really want to go there, but it was part of what happened here. Your dad's an elder. For Sam to bring that up uh, gets at some really difficult things that obviously wrestling through uh, not just what's happened with the church, but seemingly irrelevant to the accusations about Andy. Looking back at that moment, we're coming to the Elder Council trying to plead for understanding, trying to present evidence towards an investigation that we weren't permitted to participate in. We were trying to present concerns multiple times through this document, multiple times through every personal interaction. We're seeking the repentance and restoration of those in offense. 
we're seeking the Christ-likeness of our elder council. We're seeking turning away from patterns of behavior towards patterns that better represent our Lord. And so to present this information and then to be directly attacked personally in response to this just doesn't resonate with what I've seen of our Lord. So despite everything that happened in that meeting, which it sounds like that didn't really resolve in a meeting, in the meeting either, you offered an apology, Jeanette, to the elder board. Why did you offer an apology to them? Two ways that the Lord convicted me um, of my tone. So one was one of the pastor's response was, I understand but you, you didn't lead with meekness. You led with anger. Understand your anger, but you didn't lead with meekness. And then the second was a teaching from the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference from Jackie Hill Perry was preaching on, I did just call her a preacher, unapologetically I did, um, it, on, on James 3, the Lord just pierced me that I did not bridle my tongue in how I, I mean, yeah, we, we've never released the 17 pages to anyone until just now with you. Um, and, and I'm happy to, to post that uh, at my website as well. But it, you can tell the tone is angry. And we, well, and we it, said, it, you're going to hear passion. You're going to hear anger. We yeah. are upset. Mm -hmm. But I, throughout all of this, wanted to, wanted to work to walk circumspectly before the Lord. And if he convicts me that I was angry before the elders, who gets to meet be before all of the elders, the entire council? They meet four times mm -hmm. a year as the whole council. Mm -hmm. And we were given an opportunity to speak with them for 45 minutes to an hour. And if that's the tone that they landed with was they were shamed or they were we were angry and the Lord convicted me on that, I respond to the Lord. And if he convicts me, I offered a page and a half apology. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where I've witnessed wrongdoing. And when uh, I'll come and I'll say something about it, they'll say to me, you seem angry. And my response is, I am angry. Why aren't you? I think there is a certain amount of anger that is appropriate. I wasn't there, so I can't speak to. And if the Lord convicted you of that, but, but it does seem in this whole situation up until this point that you guys are offering a lot of apologies and these other parties who are elders are not offering apologies, but a lot of uh, justification for what they're doing. But after you confront them, okay, so we're, we're talking um, months now have transpired, but you do finally hear from Andy and he requests a Zoom call with you, which happens on in mid-April. So just a couple weeks after this meeting, you get on a call with Andy and he offers you an apology. However, it's very interesting to me. He does not apologize for falsely accusing you. He doesn't apologize for gossip. He doesn't apologize for maybe a lack of love. You know, what's going on in his heart when he's speaking these disparaging things about you? Instead, he offers what, and, and I'll just say my perspective of it, it sounds very mechanical, kind of apology of being quick to speak, which he has determined now after all this time, that's a sin. And so he, he was quick to speak, and that's the sin he can own. So that's what he does. I'm going to play a portion of that. There, you'll hear some bleeps, and that will be because there are some names there that are mentioned, and we want to protect the names of those individuals. So let me play that clip of his apology. Again, not the entire thing, but I think it'll, it will give you an idea. So uh, since, uh, since that QSM on January 31st, I have sought to take responsibility for my actions, um, including any errors of judgment, any sins I've committed. And I've, I've repeatedly sought the Lord, please show me my sin. Uh, I've received wise counsel from uh, friends, pastors, so that's why I've asked to meet with you, because I want to confess some sins to you and ask you to forgive me. 
So James 1.19 commands, uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. So that means it's a sin to be quick to speak and slow to hear. And I was guilty of that sin when I spoke unwisely on at least three occasions. So I just want to pick up those three occasions. It's January 31 at the QSM, February 11 at the faculty staff meeting, February 22 on a Zoom call. So let's just work through those three, and I'm asking you to forgive me for each one. So on January 31 at the QSM, I, I spoke unwisely, and that was the case particularly when I spoke the first time. Okay. I'm going to play another clip, but I will just say that he does own this sin of, uh, again, speaking unwisely, not just at the QSM, but at the the meeting with the uh, Bethlehem College and Seminary and staff meeting. He reiterates this phrase that I was quick to speak and slow to hear. He also addresses the allegation that the elders uh, told you not to bring a motion to the QSM. And he says, I've, I've spoken with Jason Meyer. He has told me that that is not what happened, that that is not true. And then Andy talks about the uh, specific uh, private conversation where he had brought that up and, and other things about you. And this is what Andy says. And then third is February 22nd with uh, a Zoom call. And on that call, I spoke unwisely when I shared my perspective of what happened at the QSM. Basically, the same applies here as what I just shared about the BCS faculty staff meeting. I regret I was quick to speak, slow to hear, ask your forgiveness, and I've already reached out to if I can meet with him, and I haven't heard back yet, but I'm, I'm planning to do that as well to ask him for forgiveness. So, Jeanette, uh, you're probably wanting to hear many more requests for forgiveness, but for those three, would you be willing to extend forgiveness to me for that? And we said, yes, we forgive you <laughs> for the record. Yes, for the record. You, yes, we did. Forgive. You did. But Jeanette, you did bring up. Wow. I, I just want to bring up the impact that what this did, because there's no acknowledgement of how I mean, I shouldn't say no acknowledgement. I mean, he does acknowledge that he hurt you. But I will just say I'm dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded after everything. Like if I have reported something falsely about somebody, if I've spoken behind their backs, if I have not gone to them and gotten their side of the story and reiterated hearsay. I mean, I get accused of gossip all the time. I don't repeat things that aren't from firsthand sources. When I do repeat things from firsthand sources that accuse someone, I go to the other side and seek their comment. If they don't give it, that's, you know, on them. But I found his response to be stunning. You guys are really gracious. I'm not sure I would have been in that circumstance. I, I mean, after this, did did you feel satisfied? No, and we didn't feel satisfied in the moment either. But mm -hmm. you have to understand this apology and the apology from Sam Crabtree came one day later. It mm -hmm. took Andy, what, two and a half months to actually say, I have sinned against you. And it took uh, Sam Crabtree a couple of weeks. So he did apologize for he the did comments apologize. he made. Yes. Mm -hmm. You have to understand we were working so hard to partner with the elders to not talk about these things with the church, with members, and we were waiting. I believe we got these this apology for sin because of the April 6th meeting with 17 pages. I pressed hard that if I talked about someone from church at my place of employment, or Steve did the same, of course that would be considered gossip if it was a false accusation, slander. Of course it would be inappropriate. Of course it would be breaking the, the relational commitments. But he's calling it just unwise. Correct. And he didn't even call it unwise or a sin until I pressed hard with the elders. Do you realize that there were even elders sitting in the room when this happened? And no one has held him accountable. But I would be first in line under discipline if you ever found out I did something like that. And that would be considered, you know, violation of those relational commitments. Right. And, and at some point in April, even when we, we started to say, I don't think we should be held to confidentiality for the grievances. 
I think that we should put them out there now that the council has ruled them all as not true or substantial. It wasn't just that they were insubstantial to remove him from being an elder. It was, they are not true. Not any of them. So I think that also plays into why Andy didn't apologize for a false accusation, for gossip, for slander. Because if he had, it would have reversed the decision of the elders. They viewed all six of those grievances and dismissed them as not true or substantial. So is he then going to apologize? If he does, he calls them true. And it would have reversed the decision of the elder council. So on April 22nd, this is just within weeks of the Zoom call with Andy. Also, you heard from Sam Crabtree in an apology. Did it feel any more authentic to you? I mean, he's tearful. He's kind. What we pressed with him was, we've seen this same behavior from you, affirm an attack twice publicly. And then the third time with, was within that private elder meeting. We had seen that same behavior from him three times in 18 months. Did he own that? Yes and no. There, there was one public occasion at a previous QSM where he made some comments that we had, that we believed were out of line. Jeanette got up to the microphone at the time and said, uh, Sam, I don't think that's appropriate. You shouldn't have said that. He got up and said, no, it's right. It's applicable here. I should have said that. And then one week later, a written apology went to all of the attenders of that meeting saying, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Will you please forgive me? Hmm. And then a year later, a similar event happened. In the moment, he got up, made a comment, made a statement, and somebody called him on it. And then in this elder meeting, we get personally attacked. Several people in the moment call him on it, and he doesn't back down and then later has to follow up with an apology. And these are just three instances that we happen to be direct witnesses of, which I presented to him later in an email saying, hey, Sam, I'm concerned. This is what I have seen and witnessed from you. Are you concerned about this? What do you think about this thing that looks like a pattern? And I don't remember the exact com the content of his response, but no, there there isn't a, there's no problem here. There's no pattern. So his apology, yes, we forgave. The same with El Andy, yes, we forgave. What we were also looking for was fruit in keeping with the repentance. Right. That was unsatisfactory. So April twenty second, we get invited to talk about the motion. So remember, we had given the potential wording of a motion for an independent investigation at the end of the 17 pages. And this was Wednesday night and the QSM in April was gonna be Sunday night. And so we were given a text, can you meet with us ASAP to talk about the motion? And you've given me a letter that they presented at that meeting on April 22nd. I can post that in my, at my website as well uh, if people wanna read that. They mentioned that both, hey, Andy and Sam have apologized to you. So in other words, that, that whole entire matter should be resolved for you. They also claim that several of the items in your 17-page document were inaccurate. You met with Jason Meyer and Ming-Jin Tung and also Brian Pickering and were like, is this accurate? There were a few things in there, but they basically affirmed, yeah, this, this is accurate. There's definitely disagreement from those three who did resign from the church with the rest of the elder board on what happened and how to characterize it. So we'll just say that again, the other elders haven't spoken with me, so I don't know what their, their take is on that. But then they claim, they accuse you of employing quote, elevated language and uncharitable judgments when you accuse the elders of stirring up division, slandering and attacking you. And then they conclude, and I quote, we strongly urge you to refrain from making any new motions at QSMs while the reconciliation process with the elders is ongoing in accordance with the relational commitments, which states that we will obey God's command to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Clearly not the outcome that you were hoping for. 
did you feel that you had any freedom to go against what they told you and bring that motion for an independent investigation? The last paragraph in particular sounded like we were on the cusp of an unknown disciplinary path. They did not define ongoing. They did not define reconciliation. And they did not define process. So when they strongly urge us, don't do this action that you say you are going to do because you might violate or it would violate the reconciliation process with elders that is ongoing, but you don't define those terms. We immediately knew we were, if we misstep somehow, some way, it's going to result in church discipline because you, they've also quoted the relational commitments, which is what would be used for church discipline, otherwise known as excommunication. What happened then at the April QSM? Anything notable? Well, we didn't say anything. <laughs> People were coming up to us and asking mm -hmm. us questions, and we were like, we can't, we can't talk. You can't talk. So kind of a no-talk rule, which again, that in and of itself is usually a hallmark sign of a dysfunctional system. When there's a lot of secrecy, a lot of no-talk rules, um, but there's plenty of talking going on, apparently behind the scenes with the power brokers, but the rest of the people right. are, are you know, often uh, asked not to speak. So, so much has happened since then. Um, right. As we've mentioned, three pastors have resigned, uh, literally hundreds of church members have left the church in the past year, 18 months. And just when it appeared that things might be dying down with really, I mean, I think very frustrating for you and others who have been involved because they feel like there's been some reporting on this. And I have to offer an apology to you because I was going to report more of your story uh, months ago and other stories, you know, this is kind of the, the life of a reporter, but it's the tyranny of the urgent, right? The breaking news. And I also had some family trips and just never got to do it. So I'm glad that we were, were able to air this. But in addition to everything that happened, then two members who really seem like they're just really seeking the truth and kind of confused by everything, went on a fact-finding mission. And they published an open letter with, that's like 31 pages of documentation of what happened. And they're saying, uh, even though the church, I guess this summer voted not to do an independent investigation, they're saying, you're not even privy to half of the information that happened. And with everything that I've seen, there's so much smoke, it looks like there's a lot of fire. And so they openly asked for an investigation. The response from the church so far has been, no, we decided not to do it. And there's a number of reasons which were published in sort of a retrospective that this couple, the shoes, uh, put online. So you can read more about that, and I have it at my website as well, uh, and some of the responses to how the church responded to this open letter, um, which I think some would say is kind of definition of spiritual abuse, using scriptures to say things that they don't really say, um, and putting shame where maybe it shouldn't be placed. And I, I encourage you, there's uh, an article there that gives responses of experts in spiritual abuse, kind of responding to how the Bethlehem elders responded. Uh, a very helpful piece, I think. But again, for the two of you, with everything you've been through, through what appears at this point to be an elder's unwillingness to deal with these issues, do you, do you have any hope that with this podcast, with some of the information that continues to come out, do you have any hope that this is going to finally be addressed by the elders, finally be dealt with in a way that, that's appropriate, and people disqualified who need to be disqualified from ministry, or at least until they are shown fruits in keeping with repentance. I don't put my hope in people from what I've seen of Bethlehem. They've lost over 200 members just from the downtown campus this year alone. The latest round of members we're given an email. If you want an elder to reach out to you, please let us know by Thursday. I mean, these are people who spent over a decade at the church. And if you want to talk to anybody before you resign from membership, please let us know. Otherwise, we have no, no reason to reach out to you. It's terrible. But my hope is in God. He never quits. Mm -hmm. He's always true to his character. 
He is so compassionate, so just. And he gets to write the timeline. And he also gets to decide who will receive mercy and who won't. So I don't tell the story to have my name in lights or to be any more important than another victim at Bethlehem. And I don't say that word lightly. I don't need anyone to defend me but Christ. And my conscience is clear before him and he can convict and continue and he will. He will continue to convict if there's any grievous way in me. My heart is totally his and he will convict and bring forth any reconciliation between myself and God and between myself and others. But I'm not waiting for Bethlehem to repent. We left in July because we could no longer trust that the elders were going to do anything about this. Must be incredibly heartbreaking though. And I feel that for you. I feel it with you because John Piper, his book, Desiring God, changed my life when I was a 20-something. And I am grateful to him for that. I'm grateful to the ministry of this church, which has had such an incredible legacy, unfortunately marred by some some just really toxic patterns of, of leadership. But I do pray for the church. I pray for repentance. I pray for you guys, because I know even when your conscience is clear, your heart can still be broken. And I'm sorry. Like Jeanette said, I don't hold my hope in the church. I place my hope in Christ. One of the things that does make it extremely difficult is spending the majority of my life at Bethlehem. One of sort of the the buzzwords out in the world these days is deconstruction. What does it mean to deconstruct? What does it mean to sort of reinspect or uh, you know understand where your history comes from? And trying to think back prior to January, prior to sort of feeling some of these concerns rise up, how long have the concerns that came to light this year, how long have they been there? How long was I complicit in the abuse of others that have occurred. I won't go into details, but I know of stories of church discipline events that happened in executive session at church meetings where we were presented, hey, this person is unrepentant of this sin. We as a church need to say they're no longer saved and we're going to treat them as an unbeliever. Hmm. And I participated in those meetings. I voted in favor of excommunicating members that were not present to defend themselves. Am, am I complicit? Yes. How? <laughs> you know? We are. I, I need, Lord, do I need to go to those members, find some way to get their, their names out of an executive session meeting and go repent to them? Hmm. How far back does this go? Is this a modern change that took place at Bethlehem? Or is this a symptom that just happened to come to the surface more presently? I definitely agree that the, that the writings and the teachings and the preaching of Pastor John Piper have been powerful across the world. But certainly, some of the systems that were established at Bethlehem were established when he was pastor for preaching and vision. Many of the elders that serve today served under Pastor Piper. Could there be leadership characteristics of Pastor John that negatively impacted the development of the elder council today? These are some of the things that go through my mind in, you know, I'm not trying to clear my name. I think this is sort of the difference between, as you referenced at the beginning, the personal reconciliation that needs to happen between one believer to another believer, and the difference between what the Bible calls 
for believers to do when confronting elders and teachers who are in sin. This is a tell it to the church, not just tell it to Bethlehem Baptist Church, but brothers, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for the members that you are leading, the members that Christ Jesus has has placed under your care that you are not caring for well. And can I add, the pastors that are being trained by Bethlehem College and Seminary, if this is the way that they're being taught, this is concerning to the larger church. This is why all of us uh, should be concerned and also uh, desiring God. John Piper's ministry has a huge reach. And if, if, this, if this is what they believe about the way members should be treated, I think the rest of the, the larger body of Christ has a right to know that information. So uh, I wanna thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability, and I would say from what I've seen, your integrity walking out this process. So thank you and I, I pray for you and your families for there to be healing and, and restoration in the days to come. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, and thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce. If you'd like to connect with me online, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's julieroyce.com. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you have a great day and God bless.